Christian Cage defeating Jungle Boy with a time confirmed of 20 seconds <laughs> in what was obviously more of an angle than a match. Now, I think convoluted is a word that you'll hear a lot in regards yep. to this. I don't hate the setup for this either, necessarily. So obviously, in terms of the match, Christian comes out. You get the introduction. Oh, by, he got slapped by Jungle Boy's mother, by the way, which is beautiful. And then Jungle Boy comes out officially announced for the first time as Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, which is what everyone thought was eventually going to happen. And he gets attacked on the stage by Luchasaurus and takes the worst fucking choke slam I've ever seen. Not in terms of the worst delivered choke slam. That is still Undertaker to Hulk Hogan at Judgment Day 02, where Hogan got half an inch off the ground. The worst to take choke slam I think I've ever seen in my goddamn life. He posted a picture of his back after landing on the great cover for the fireworks displays, the pyro displays. Right. Jesus Christ. I think Taz on commentary said it looked like his back was seared by a grill. Fuck. <laughs> Just brutal. Gets put through a table at ringside. Gets back into the ring, gets speared by Christian, does kick out, takes a kill switch, and that's it. So first and foremost, this is another match where it's the first match of what will be a continuing feud. Right. And we kind of know how you feel about that for pay-per-views. I, I think this one was okay. Because okay. th there's more to this. I Yes. And as much as I couldn't come to this realization with uh, Starks and Hobb, um, this one, the way they played it. First off, I wish they switched this in the in the women's match because yeah. I think the way this match played out wouldn't have it would have gotten the same reaction as it got, and it wouldn't left wouldn't have left. Um, I think it would have brought the the crowd back if that makes sense. Uh, so the one part that you left out was. That Luchasaurus, uh, Jungle Boy was going to the um, the Faces Tunnel to look for Luchasaurus, yeah. And Luchasaurus walked from the other side, right. And even at that point, it was like, oh, he walked out the wrong tunnel. He's gonna walk out, and then he just slaps and grabs him on the throat. Yeah. And it was like genius. Like this adds to Christian's work to everybody. Outworked ev or worked everybody basically. Right. It is convoluted in a sense that the setup for this was that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, after they lose the tag titles, injures Jungle Boy. Yes. Then Christian says the stuff to, Jun uh, to Luchasaurus the next week when Luchasaurus goes to attack him. Remember Marco and all that stuff. And then for like two weeks, you have Luchasaurus side by side with Christian beating the crap out of jobbers. Yep. Jungle Boy comes back and Luchasaurus says, go get him. Christian runs away. No physicality. You have Luchasaurus standing by Jungle Boy during promos, eyeing him up. Like I much like, again, that Boston or the Worcester card that I went to. Like I yep. said, that was the same night that uh, Hobbs turned on Starks. And then a few segments later, you have Jungle Boy in the ring with Luchasaurus still wearing the darker attire. Yeah, and he never looking at him. And my fiance is like, he, he's going to hit him. He's going to hit him and was surprised when he didn't. 
So there was never any physicality from Luchasaurus towards Jungle Boy until this point. Right. I don't think you can rightfully call it, and it was just mentioned in chat there, the idea of like, oh, it's a big show-esque heel face, heel face, heel face, because I think they at least covered their tracks a little bit. Yep. Their, their dinosaur-sized tracks to sit there and say, oh, Christian's gotten Jungle Boy to go with him. Oh, no, Jungle Boy said, fuck you. I outsmarted you. I outworked you this time. My best friend is still my best friend. Only for Christian to be like, nah, bitch, he isn't. We got you the whole time. I like that, personally. This was Paul Heyman-esque. This was very, like... This was very ECW, yeah. The way that this played out was brilliant. Um, I I mean, I'm surprised you didn't actually necessarily say it. Uh, Possibly an injury to Christian, which is why they may have gone this way. His arm was uh, very heavily protected. Yes. His right arm, his right elbow. Um, but the way that it played out continued. The Christian is a much smarter wrestler than not only Jungle Boy, but damn near everybody on that roster. Mm-hmm. And the outworked or worked everybody's shirt. And even on the. Uh, the stinger when uh, Christian was coming out, yeah. the the uh, fact was that Christian's got twenty years of experience. Like uh, two matches. Yeah, like he, I love this character of uh, this Christian character because I think it's it's the guy in WWE always wanted the rematch against Randy Orton and was annoying and was just. A whiny One little more match. Just give me, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's it's cranked to eleven now, and now he's the guy who will say whatever needs to be said to get under the skin. It's more methodical and it's more cerebral than it is that we're going. To, I don't think we see a classic match out of these two when they finally do a cage match or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. But I love how this is going. My only fear is that at the end of it, it won't do as much for Jungle Boy in the end. He may actually get like the big payoff or anything, whatever. I just I don't see this creating a star out of Jungle Boy as much as it's actually elevating Christian. I mean, I think I think you're right in a sense that we have to wait until we see what's next and what they do next is very very important in terms of how they portray Jungle Boy after this and specifically how they portray Luchasaurus after this and if he is still going to be Luchasaurus, right? Like, I mean, there is a chance that he ends up under one of, I mean, numerous different names that he used to um, that he used to wrestle under. I mean, I, I genuinely do think there's a chance that we could see him unmasked by Christian as soon as Wednesday. And having him cut normal promos as himself saying Christian showed me that, yeah, I don't need Jungle Boy to be a star type of thing. Christian showed me the importance of being your own man in wrestling and what really matters in wrestling and fuck friendship. It's about the money, just like Christian says, like, you know, I I think there's an interesting spin because. As far as the tag team goes, it does break my heart to see them no longer a tag team. 
because right. fuck, it was awesome. And as someone, you know, like me who who grew up when I did and tag team wrestling was still big in the WWE at the time with obviously Edge Christian, the Hardys, the Dudleys, too cool. Um, you know, they, they really were a, a wholesome tag team. But you knew eventually that, yes, Jungle Boy is going to transition over towards being a single star. And it was just a matter of how they got there. And I think using Christian to do it has been the best way they could have done it. Yeah. Instead of the typical, like, all every time I think about this, I just think about how lazy the split up of crime time was in the WWE, where it was just the most generic one day, Shad got tired of carrying JTG and I pitch you and fuck you. Rest in peace, Shad Gaspard. Um, you know, I'm glad they at least tried to put a little bit more of a spin on it. But I agree what happens next is very important. But I don't feel slight. Again, I paid 50 bucks for this. I don't feel slighted in having not seen this match because I think you got more out of a 20 minute or 20 second match that was really a an angle more than you would have gotten out of a 14 minute match where Jungle Boy costs, you know, or Jungle Boy is, you know, uh, cheated out of winning the match. I think this was the better way to go. I think if this was done on an event the size of SummerSlam, that would have been a big fuck you to the to the audience. I yeah. think how they did it, and I I do have the story played out in my head of what I think will happen, which is now going to be a Jungle Boy Luchasaurus feud in the short term, uh, while Christian heals. While Christian's still there, I don't think you see the removal of the mask. Because I still think it's the Christian um, mastermind character at play. A mask. And once Jungle Boy gets through, and you know, you have to beat Ju- or you have to beat Luchasaurus to get Christian in a cage or or whatever. No pun intended. Christian cage in a cage. Yeah. Um Jungle Boy gets through Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus disappears for a bit. And then they finally get that payoff and Luchasaurus comes back with the green mask and the green uh, attire and helps Jungle Boy and doesn't turn. But then from there, that's kind of the nice little payoff too, where they can split and go off on singles. And as much as they've reunited, I think they can break off from that point. I don't know that you really need one of them being a face and one of them being a heel to sol- to solidify them as um, singles competitors. But I think if they come together to uh, finally thwart Christian Cage, uh, I think that's enough of a... I, I hate using it, but like The Last Jedi or uh, The Skywalker. What was the last Star Wars? Um, where ben, where ben comes back and he's a good guy spoiler alert and then he dies like uh, you know what they're back together they finally uh got to the top of the mountain they can go off on their own uh their own directions and be single stars rise of skywalker thanks for you there you go chris jericho beat brian danielson in what was actually the longest match of the night i stand corrected this was uh 23 minutes and 40 seconds of topping the acclaimed match by a minute and 10 Jericho winning after cheating. He cheated the win. 
Mm -hmm. That was pretty much the crux of the story is Daniel Garcia saying, prove you the best, don't cheat to win, and Jericho cheated to win. So continuing that story, I know some people are upset that, you know, Brian Danielson lost to, to Jericho, but it does continue the story. I see where they're going. Sets the stage for Dynamite in Buffalo when Garcia has a pure title match against Wheeler Yuta. Just good. Just good. Probably a little bit too long. Crowd was obviously dead for a decent amount of this. And Chris Jericho needs to get a belt that actually fits. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my big takeaways. Remember when he uh, feuded with Mickey Rourke? Well, Mickey Rourke uh, was promoting The Wrestler. Yes. And then Mickey Rourke... Jericho. Jericho's turned into the wrestler. He has. And for the record, my favorite part of that story is Mickey Rourke showed up at WrestleMania so worried that Jericho might attack him that Mickey Rourke brought Frank Shamrock with him to sit next to him just to make sure if Jericho tried anything. He had Frank fucking Shamrock next to him. Didn't I think Larry this I'm dating myself here now, too, but didn't Jericho go on or Mickey Rourke go on Larry King live? And there was some talk about what the whole story was yes that 100 percent <laughs> happened yes um this again great match uh one that i was looking forward to and the finish just kind of came out of nowhere and yeah like yeah it just it it was an unresolved now i will admit i didn't see the garcia part about don't cheat you know prove yourself or whatever i missed mm -hmm. that so if that was the case, it kind of adds a little bit to it. But I didn't really see any opportunity that Jericho had any other time. Like if he had other opportunities and then he kind of pulled back and then he had another opportunity to cheat and he pulled back, you know, and then the one time that he actually got away with it, I would have loved to have seen more of that than just the the heel kick or the mule kick to the, the Jimmy and uh, one, two, three, like especially in a 20 minute match to wrap it up that way sucks. It, it's, and that's where I started really getting on my, like, okay, we're in, they're trying to out WWE WWE when WWE isn't trying to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was mentioned in chat, like the idea of like did AEW use Brian Danielson as a pick for the Jericho Garcia story. I mean, Jericho Danielson's been going on since the last pay-per-view. Uh, when they had what, um, God, mayhem and the whatever. Uh, the, what the hell was that tagline that they had for that match? Wasn't it Blood was... and guts. No, well, it was before Blood and Guts. They had uh, at one of the last pay per views. It was just that gigantic fucking brawl all over the arena between the two stables. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hierarchy in the arena. Thank you, yes. big boy. Um, you know that they've been telling that story since then. So they were always going to get to a singles match between the two. But along the way, if they did decide clusterfuck in the Coliseum is also a good suggestion. Um, <laughs> if they decided to spin that into how we're turning Daniel Garcia face, I'm cool with that. If they decided to spin this in a way that like, I, I don't think Garcia will stay heel at the end of this and, and turn, but or stay as a heel. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm perfectly fine with the, the story that they're telling. It's just, unfortunately, yeah, for this match, while it was solid, as you would expect between these two, crowd was tired of shit, and it probably shouldn't have been 23 minutes. Yeah, just to go back to, we were talking about the roster and who they've all signed, and as much as 
You don't sign. You don't don't sign to Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson. You yeah, exactly right. Um, using him to further Daniel Garcia is bad booking. To use him as like a pawn in the storyline, because sooner or later we're gonna get uh, Daniel Garcia and, and Chris Jericho. That's where this is all leading, and yeah. Potentially the demise of the Appreciation Society. But it's Brian Danielson. Steve. I don't know if... any other wrestler in that role. It would be bad, terrible booking. Because it's Brian Danielson, though, I wonder if he knows he's he's on borrowed time in a wrestling ring, the fact that he's been able to come back and have the matches that he's had, mm. is it that he's okay with elevating yes. younger stars so. this way? Yeah. Question mark? I think he proved when he first came into the company last year, literally at this event, um, I think he proved with that, uh, you know, the, the match against Kenny Omega, uh, at last year's uh, Arthur Ashe show. Like, yes, he can still be, he is still amongst one of the best in the world. He could easily be carrying their world title. But why? Like, no offense to CM Punk. We'll talk about, it, don't worry. Yeah. He cannot elevate a Daniel Garcia or a Wheeler Yuta, or someone like that, like Brian Danielson can. In the ring. In the ring. In the ring, I will agree. But and on the same... What ultimately is valued the most is the in-ring. Right. Which on the... Uh, as much as I know that this wasn't the argument you wanted to start, I don't think it works the other way with Brian Danielson outside of the ring. Yeah, I mean, he's not the best promo guy in the world. But if, that, if that's what you're insinuating and just like the idea that like. At a main event level, do you want Danielson to be the one cutting promos and having promo battles with John Moxley? I mean, granted, they did have their own feud. Right. But yeah, punk punk can get somebody over promo wise in ring wise. We know the guy's 43 years old. He's not quite as, you know fluid as he used to be we saw him try to do buckshot lariats um but danielson while he's not certainly not the worst guy in terms of charisma on the mic like yeah he i think he is he is very well suited to be your world champion number one guy but he is also very well suited like the experience that someone like daniel garcia gets from having a series of matches with brian danielson yeah i don't think there's anybody else on the roster who Garcia could benefit from as much as he benefits from having those matches with Danielson. I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but I don't feel you're 100% right, but I'll give you a solid 95. I'll take that. That's better than what I would have gotten in most grades or most classes anyway. And Okay, so if we're going on this wavelength, though, why are we having Danielson Jericho to elevate Garcia. Garcia wasn't on the pay-per-view card. He was in the back watching a TV. Mm -hmm. There's 
elevation for you. You know, like, that's why I kind of question, like, is he there to elevate the talent, which I, I truly believe he is more so than a CM Punk, where you thought that that's what he was going to be doing, especially with the first couple matches that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, there's just something about this that didn't quite click. And I think this another this is another match that was really thrown together because only two, three weeks ago, we had Jericho Mox yeah. in a great feud. I, I thought the feud between the two was fantastic. And now we're still getting Lionheart Jericho, who Mox brought out of Jericho, mm-hmm. still going on against Brian Danielson. And, and uh, is this like a BCC thing? Is it like the, yeah. it just? I mean, I, I do think feel- it. I do think that the Jericho Danielson match makes a lot of sense in that it does tell the story of wrestler versus sports entertainer and Garcia being conflicted between the two. Fair. I think that's where it's in. I get your point of being like, well, how much did it benefit him in that he didn't even have a match of his own? I do get that. But I think it's coming. No, I I appreciate I appreciate that angle of it. I just again, the timing of it and this match being on the major pay-per-view versus building up to uh boosting Garcia on this pay-per-view would have been better served. I think that's fair. Co-main event. Not really. But the penultimate match of the evening. That one's for Endo Mills. Darby Allen, Sting, and Miro beating the House of Black of Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews in 12 minutes. Again, solid. Would have been better served as a Dynamite or Rampage main event. I am going to fully admit that this is at the point because of how matches had gone on and I did have to put my dad hat back on and I set up a TV and a fire out on our balcony or our uh, patio out back for my family to watch a movie. So I did not watch this match as much as I, I am an absolute sting mark. I love everything that he does, especially 65 year old sting jumping off of things. Well, here's the thing. You didn't get that, though. Oh, I would have been. okay. so I'm disappointed in this match. (laughs) There was no brawling around the arena there. It was. Frankly, just pretty much a straightforward six person tag match. Um, You know, for the first part of the match, like Miro didn't want to tag anybody else in type of thing, stuff like that. But it was a damn straightforward plain and simple six-man tag um that again only kind of serves to just be on the pay-per-view i think for the sake of being on the pay-per-view um you know the highlight of this is probably the ending where sting was the one to use the mist towards malachi black leading to darby allen getting the win um out of this in terms of like darby sting and miro what do they really gain not a ton i mean miro does kind of get revenge they get the faces get revenge basically um and for the house of black they lose another big match 
there was obviously a lot of rumors surrounding Malachi Black in the first place as to what is his status, like contractually. Did he request his release? Is he hurt? Is he burned out? Um, it was reported to live in the arena that he waved to the fans, took a bow. So there's a lot of concern in Blue Kiss as well that there and Tony Khan refused to comment on it at their press conference after the show. So there's a lot of questions about him and what's his status, which is a shame because if you had to ask me who my favorite wrestler in the world is right now, it's Malachi Black. I, I think, adore him. <laughs> I don't think we got what we wanted to see after Alistair Black left NXT except yeah. for his feud with Cody. And that was his entrance into AEW. I think uh, House of Black has been booked poorly. I think we could have gotten so much more out of the, again, another perfect, uh, another perfect matchup for the trio's final rather than the Dark Order. I'm not against the Dark Order. I'm not against Hangman Page. I just didn't really see them as that team that should have made it to the finals, just the way that it was all built. So House of Black would have been absolutely perfect. But Aleister Black, Malachi Black, has just had this career of right place, wrong time, wrong people in charge of where he should go. I think he's a fantastic talent, but again, critical mass in AEW means yeah, he got nothing out of his run here. And if he goes back to WWE with uh, Triple H in charge, he will be a champion probably by before the end of next year. I think I agree. Um, when he first came to AEW, the feud against Cody wins the first match in like four minutes. Fucking awesome. The rematch at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Fucking awesome. And then it tanked. The second Arn Anderson pulled out a Glock <laughs> and told Cody how vicious he had to be. And then Arn, and the timeline might be a little bit off, but Arn blocked the Black Mass. I don't know if you remember that. I think so, yeah. He made the decision that Arn Anderson knew how to defend the kick by doing this and putting his arms up and his arms together. And then the third match, Cody wins it. And then, yeah, there really wasn't a ton for him there. There was also a pretty rough back injury that he's talked about a ton that right. has really disrupted his momentum for the majority of the year which I wouldn't be surprised if that's the reason why Buddy Matthews got paired with the group. The idea that, fuck, Malachi is hurt, but he can have this stable, and then Brody King and, and you know, Buddy Matthews can be a tag team in the interim, depending on what happens here. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's been a combination of, like you said, a victim of circumstance. Uh, and unfortunately, that includes the booking side of things, but that also includes the unfortunate injury side of things. Um, that's kind of the big story of this match is where does he go? Is he still in AEW or is he, you know, is he hurt and taking time off? Is he just burnt out and he needs that time off? 
Or is he the one that was rumored to ask for his release? And will he go back to a WWE? I don't know. I would love if this was Malachi Black's last match in AEW. I would love to see uh, Brody turn on Buddy and start that feud. Because I, yeah. I don't I don't see Buddy Murphy uh, being anything in AEW. He is a better Tony Nese. I, I think he's a great worker. I think he's got the physique. I think he's got everything that is needed. There's just something there's there's too many people in the way for him to be a TNT title holder holder. He's never going to be a world champ. Agreed. And I think that Brody King has got a better path to either one of those titles. And Buddy is better off taking an absolute beating to further Brody's career. Yes. Yeah, out of... I mean, obviously, out of Brody King, Buddy Matthews. Like, Buddy Matthews is fucking phenomenal in ring. Brody King's the moneymaker out of those two. That's just obvious. I will correct myself. I could see Buddy being a fantastic mid-Atlantic champion. Is that what we're calling that one now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Give me more of him and Pac in the ring. Yes. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) keep that as your 205 Live (laughs) title and let those two go. And yeah, yeah, that would be a great title reign uh, for Buddy there. All Atlantic, not just the Mid-Atlantic. We forgot about the West and the East and the North and and South Atlantic as well. Japan, a part of the All-Atlantic, of course. No, we Um, always forget about Japan. God, I, I, I still don't understand that title. That was the one title where I'm like, okay, you're, you're going too far here with the title. Now, I know that you want to get into the main event, but I, I yet, just actually. I did want to touch on because we did talk about you know Buddy having certain title reigns or not quite getting to a title reign. Yeah. Are you with me that you would? Um, what were the two that I tweeted out? I would love to see uh, Orange Cassidy win some sort of title and hold it for more than a week. Fair. TNT, maybe. I don't think Fair. he's heavyweight. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other one was. I will say the issue with that idea, though, is Wardlow's not dropping that title anytime soon. Like people were saying, OK, after the instability of the TNT title, once Miro dropped it and everything was Sammy and Scorpio, you know, Scorpio Sky, we need someone to carry the TNT title for a long time. Yeah, Wardlow's going to carry that belt for a long, long time. They did set up Orange Cassidy and Pack. I don't think OC yeah. will, will be yeah. there for that title. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because like you said, like even like a. I don't know, even even a Brody, I don't know if he would get the run necessarily with the TNT title. I genuinely thought, like, based off what the TNT title was last year, that, you know, a Miro, like, that kind of reign, um, I genuinely thought at least Malachi Black would have that, would have had a strong TNT title run by this point a year later after beating Cody at Arthur Ashe Stadium, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I just... I, I see it more like an intercontinental title now that Wardlow has it and how they're mm-hmm. building that mm-hmm. than I have with anybody else who held it. But uh, I, I would say I would say 
a slight disagreement from me there just for the sole purpose of um like i said i know miro's a name that gets thrown out there a lot and, and rightfully so and if you look at some of those some of those other reigns um I mean, Darby had it for almost like 200 days. Miro had it. And then, yeah, Sammy won it about a year ago in uh, September of 2021. And then traded it with Cody and then got it back. And then Scorpio won it. Then Sammy won it. Like, it's just... It's it's being rehabbed with Wardlow a little bit. Um, I don't think it's hit the, the level that it once was. And the problem is right now, too, I see so many people that should be in that conversation of like, oh yeah, they could use a title like that. If Malachi Black was still a singles guy. Right. Pa- the winner of the powerhouse heart, a uh, powerhouse Hobbs Starks feud. That's the next level up. Who Are either of you going to beat Wardlow? It's funny that there is almost a log jam where PAX all Atlantic title needs to serve as m- even more of a purpose. That needs to be the intercontinental title to the intercontinental title. Yeah. Yeah, the European Championship, basically. Well, I mean, you could throw in the TV slash, and I'm not putting them on the same level, but the TV slash US title, like the fact that those existed, not so much in WWE, but there was always a secondary level title that wasn't below. But I also understand like the whole idea of the European title to the All Atlantic. Um, Eddie Kingston as a heavyweight, I would love to see that run. Yeah. By the way, rip the dream people had of Eddie Kingston winning the title at Arthur Ashe. <laughs> because we know, uh, we pretty much know who's getting the title shot there unless they hold it off until uh, until full yeah. gear. So that does kind of bring us then to the main event. The rematch, CM Punk, John Moxley. Really a feud built up rather quickly. You know, Moxley beats Jericho. Punk returns to save the day. The next week you get the promo where I really do like what was built up there where Punk is kind of coming out like, yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, you're not the real champion, whatever. And then Moxley gets under his skin and they start brawling. And then they brawl again in the show. And it's essentially the idea that Punk was goaded into having this match when he probably wasn't ready gets his ass kicked in three minutes. And I get that people, like I said earlier, I love the idea that matches can end fast just because it's 20 minutes or just because it's a world title match. Doesn't mean that it has to last 20 minutes. I love that idea. Um, So ultimately I did love the three minute squash. I liked the setup the next week with the open contract. I agree. If you wanted more of a sense of realism, you could have had more people scrambling to try to get that contract. I just, I like the way that they set up the match and two minutes into this match, CM Punk hits a GTS and the crowd bit on this (laughs) false finish harder I don't think I've seen a crowd bite on a false finish as hard since The Rock got hit with the Hogan leg drop at WrestleMania 18, and that crowd thought Hulk Hogan was winning that match. This crowd, as pretty much dead as they were for the last four matches, came to fucking life and bit so hard on that near fall, which does not happen to that extent had Punk not lost in three minutes two weeks before. 
I bet. I thought it was over. Me too. I honestly 100%. thought it was over. Yep, me too. And and uh, I I I'm not trying to do the whole I told you so. If you have not listened to the first podcast on Spotify, uh the links are uh be Yeah, anyways, long story short, I I still believe my theory of why we got the squash, which I'm not going to go into. You can listen to the first episode. Also, I bought into that finish, uh, Punk hitting the go to sleep and rolling him up in the three minutes. As uh, okay, you paid your you paid your stipends. Here's your title. Mm. Right, you you did your deed. You did what you said you were going to do. We're going to reward you back. I'm glad it didn't because of what we got out of this match. But I totally bit and would have been absolutely happy with a three minute reversal match. That would have set up an amazing rubber match. I will say again, you don't do that on the biggest, your biggest pay-per-view of the year. You have the rubber match on the biggest pay-per-view of the year, but the timelines and the injuries and all that stuff, it happened the way that it happened. But um, yeah, I, I fully was ready to jump to my feet at the end of, uh, or three minutes in. It does raise the question, obviously. Now, the match itself, really solid. Like your traditional pay-per-view main event style. CM Punk wearing white so you knew he was going to bleed. At least I did. Like, that's that's as old school as it gets. Mm -hmm. um, the dynamic was exactly as interesting as I wanted it to be. Where, and we'll talk about Punk and what might be a work and what might not be. Mm -hmm. But... There was certainly more of a divide. How long was this match? Clocked in, according to Wikipedia, at 1955. Um, it was certainly more of a divide in the crowd than I think we would have had otherwise. Certainly more Moxley chance at times than yes. I think we would have gotten. As well, a, a shout-out to that to that three-minute match. Um, Moxley did a simple toehold. Like that simple swept the leg, did the knee bar, twisting the ankle. He was getting booed. He was getting booed for the simplest of holds, mm -hmm. which again, I do not think that happens at all. Uh, there was a tweet that I that I retweeted. Fans booing a basic toe hold because Punk's foot is hurt. <laughs> uh, the person How also dare... read everyone who hated the build of this match is a dunce. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but... We saw it in the trios match, though, where Hangman was basically punishing or getting mad at his own teammates for going after the injury in a wrestling match. Mm -hmm. But that had a title on the line, right? right? So I don't know if that had anything to do with the match later on or anything like that, but it, it, it blew my mind that CM Punk was getting booed in Chicago. Chicago's the, the hottest spot for... Or CM Punk and when he was getting introduced there were boos like yeah. that crowd chants CM Punk for the entire pay-per-view if that's all Chicago yeah that it, I couldn't I couldn't that, that was the one part of the match I couldn't compute was how much uh distaste for CM Punk there was in Chicago but continue I think I think it was a perfect storm in that what we saw on TV 
contributes to fans maybe having a different opinion of punk and then certainly it's chicago a lot of smart fans a lot of you know people reading the dirt sheets as they say and hearing about the drama that continued tonight in AEW's official press conference which again we'll get to in a minute it led to as interesting of a dynamic as i was hoping to see where cm punk was not the 99 to 1 at worst fan favorite he's in his hometown like maybe like one percent of people like the john cena match at money in the bank 2011 you can still hear some women and kids but they are getting drowned the fuck out and that's what you would have expected if this is setting the stage for a punk heel turn you're in a good spot i think you're in a good spot yeah just with how they handled things so the match itself solid solid match nothing out of this world but a really solid match punk wins with the gts handing moxley like i you can count on one hand the amount of times mox has lost clean in an AEW ring it has been very few um and they get back on track with punk being champion and you have the reveal of mjf being the joker from earlier in the night coming out and signifying that he is going after punk and at the same time gets fucking cheered over CM Punk, who is standing in the ring as world champion in Chicago. I do not know if this was the original plan, what diversions there were, but the end result is a nearly fucking unthinkable scenario at the start of this year. And here we are in September and MJF uh, essentially, yes, gets a hero's welcome in Chicago over CM Punk. Not all that far removed from MJF getting nuclear heat from saying, I beat CM Punk in Chicago twice. Fucking insane. It's insane. I I want to go back to the finish just really quick. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing things that I've never seen in my 42 years of life, especially in something that I've devoted so much time to, which pro wrestling I got into in the mid 80s. And I will use an example of Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks where Bianca Belair picked up Sasha Banks in a gorilla press outside of the ring, walked up the stairs and tossed Sasha Banks into the ring never saw anything like that before and it's it's a moment that stands out vividly Mm. not quite on the same parallel but still something i had never seen before and just absolutely loved cm punk hit mox with a go to sleep mox bounced back off the ropes and landed on cm punk passed out and cm punk just sat there yeah and the way the announcers played it, the way that CM Punk played it, was just absolutely perfect. But there was the question of, could he pick him up one more time? Right. And I, that's, I think CM Punk's run now is very similar. Not, I, you know what, I'd be surprised if it is similar in age to Hulk Hogan's last run in WWE. That you knew that the other guys were far superior 
uh, in better physical shape and had more to gain in beating Hulk Hogan than Hulk Hogan had in them, but they wanted to give Hulk that last run. Like, there was a couple times where it looked like some of the moves that CM Punk was going to do tonight was going to do actual damage, not wrestling damage. Um, so, yeah, even the question of getting that second go to sleep off the ground yeah. was very interesting. But just the fact that Mox, how he sold that first go to sleep and how a guy was passed out and the other guy looked like he didn't have enough to pick him up one more time. I thought it was just fantastic at the end of that match. So the, go ahead, go ahead. So three things then to round out this podcast. Yes. First and foremost, the match itself and the aftermath surprises me that much more that WWE did not pull the trigger on Drew McIntyre because AEW was handed the moment of the weekend. Yep. The biggest talking point from this weekend is without a doubt what happened in that main event and what happened with CM Punk at the press conference afterwards, MJF's return. More people are going to be talking about AEW than WWE after this if you are just a fan of wrestling in general. Obviously, if you are just a WWE fan, whatever. But the biggest moment of this weekend is MJF's return when it could have been rivaled, if not surpassed, by a Bulldog-esque win by Drew McIntyre in the UK. I'm very surprised by that. I would argue that MJF returning would have trumped anything WWE could have done. Anything. I don't honestly. necessarily disagree. Yeah, the, think about it. The Rock versus uh, Roman Reigns is has been rumored WrestleMania. If The Rock came out and Rock bottomed Roman Reigns, MJF returning in the way that he did would have been the news of the weekend. I don't necessarily disagree. I think that's fair. So, let's talk about what this means from the MJF perspective, and then we'll get into CM Punk, because with the press conference that happened after the event, CM Punk has almost usurped the MJF momentum. Like, they are on, and in my opinion, an even playing field at this stage. For MJF, comes back after a three-month absence, and the biggest part of that in danger again we'll talk about the wwe pay-per-view on tuesday's show crash needs to uh, finish watching some aspects of it um the biggest thing for mjf i would say is the aspect of not only does he have the automatic title shot it was the tony phone call the answering machine message that they played before in which essentially it's MJF's character saying Tony Khan called me guaranteed me more money, put me in the position to win this ladder match, set me up for success. And the most important story detail, no contract extension, which is what MJF went off on in that promo in Los Angeles. The idea of fucking pay me or let me out of my contract. And it really does feel like all of this is going to lead up to the idea of, and you don't know where exactly the line is because it's so blurred, is MJF 
going to essentially replicate the CM Punk storyline of 2011 of I'm leaving this company as your champion. We are two years away from that. Right? Yes. Year, and a, year and a half now. So two, much and half. two years. <laughs> um, the, the voicemail? Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. The only way they could have done this better and the way they technically should have there was questions on twitter is the um is the poker chip money in the bank right could he have cashed in that night when the lights went out i thought the lights were going to come straight back up and the joker was going to be in the ring with Same. the chip cm punk is just absolutely beaten up and you get MJF's finisher, one, two, three, and an unmasking, and the place would have just erupted. The place would have been bonkers. What we got was probably the best case scenario with, again, kind of the worst finish out of it. But that uh, audio video package that we got, and like I said, the, the voicemail was amazing. Because at that moment, you knew it was MJF. The fact that it took the crowd until they saw the back of his haircut yeah. to pop was amazing. Um, but hearing Tony Khan, or I don't know if that was even Tony Khan, but hearing like yeah, the contract details. Yeah. And even, I love the, the fact that you pointed out that there's no contract extension. Yeah. All the other stuff would have been Anybody else would have been promised or whatever, but the fact that this storyline is has always been based on what he's going to do after this contract. I think that was a, a perfect addition to what they were doing. I didn't like that they just stood and stared at each other. Hmm. That was the That's one fair. part where I'm just like, okay, you know what? Finish it with him. Uh, I was in Coco's stream and he he basically said, like, finish it uh with the video package and then cut it there don't have him walk out and i said no you have him walk out you have him run to the ring and you have him beat up a already beaten up cm punk and i think he the place would have erupted i think the place just would have gone bananas compared to it wouldn't have been on the same level as him winning the title but i having them 30, 40 feet away from each other, one just holding up a, a title and the other one just going, oh, I'm coming for you. I'm coming. Like, to me, that could have been done better. But I was I expecting think... the group yeah. to attack. Now, or what, what I do so... kind of like is the idea, too, of in that, in that voicemail, how much money he was offered was bleeped out. Yeah. So you could yeah. essentially say he was offered so much money that MJF could hire Stokely to go and recruit these guys and create yeah. this new stable that they've created. You can say that outright, which is another interesting little tidbit. And in terms of who they also recruited, right? Yeah. Cause we haven't seen the card extension from Stokely. Therefore he's not necessarily a part of that group, but we have seen uh, Stokely or no, it's not, not Stokely uh, MJF hire people to do his dirty work i.e. a w morrissey in the past yeah 
lot I'm, more. There's a lot just, more to learn there. I'm excited I'm just, for Wednesday for that alone. I'm just glad to see him back. Like, there's just something about AEW without MJF. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to get there sooner or later, I'm pretty sure. But to not have... Again, you want to talk about CM Punk elevating somebody without needing to have the matches? I don't think the matches elevated MJF as much as getting on the mic against CM Punk and going toe-to-toe, pipe-bomb-to-pipe-bomb, did so much for MJF than any match could have. Leads us, obviously, the intrigue of what's going to happen. Do they have that match at Arthur Ashe? Do they wait until this November with full gear? We'll find out, obviously. The intrigue from CM Punk's perspective. Obviously walks away from this as champion. That's not necessarily what people are talking about. The post-event press conference is what the majority of people are talking about coming out of this show. The first reason being that CM Punk went off after a reporter mentioned Colt Cabana. Punk essentially saying, can you stop fucking asking me about this guy? I haven't been friends with this fucking guy for a decade. Stop. I didn't think that was out of line. I thought, I, I personally, as a fan of both of those particular performers, I am a fucking massive Colt Cabana fan. I, as an adult, can comprehend that these two are not fucking friends anymore. There is no further information that you are going to get out of either of the two of them by continuing to try to drive home the point of, hey, why, Phil, why aren't you Scott friends anymore? <laughs> like, just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So I do not blame Punk in any possible aspect of going off on somebody when it's the first question you get at a presser after a major event just took place and you're being asked about someone who everyone knows that you have had a harsh, brutal falling out with. It fucking sucks. I think as wrestling fans, we can say, yeah, it kind of sucks knowing that two guys who were known to be really fucking good friends cannot fucking stand each other anymore. But Crash, as a 30-year-old man, according to Twitter... As a 30-year-old man, I'm at the ripe age of 28, I think we both know that sometimes friendships don't fucking last. It's just a fact of life. In terms of me as a podcaster, had a friendship with someone that I didn't imagine that friendship ending, and out of nowhere, it fucking did. And hey, surprise, surprise, if it if a friendship also involves a business in a certain way, that can become I know I, I really got you on that one. Like I love that you. can be even more so of a catalyst for it, and it becomes that much more personal and that much more of a problem. Like we both understand this as fucking adults. So anybody criticizing him for going off on a reporter for that, sure. At the same time. That evolved into him mentioning how he thought the news got out there, which was essentially blaming the executive vice presidents, which would include, obviously, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, among others, as running a bit of a sloppy shop 
and letting the news get out there that some people within the company think he was the reason for it, despite Tony Khan denying that he had anything to do with Colt Cabana going to Ring of Honor, which should be obvious because Colt wasn't really on TV all that much before Punk got there. That was a big critique because people fucking loved Colt Cabana. He was in the Dark Order, but Colt really wasn't doing much. The last Dynamite I can think that he was even on was the Halloween episode last year because I was there, and that was the episode where Hangman was in the fucking Stay Puff Marshmallow Man outfit before his title match with Omega at last year's Full Gear. So if you want to carry with that, obviously, again, we talked about the blurred line, the fine divide. Is it a work? Is it not? The idea that CM Punk got pissed and revealed that he thinks that people fed shit to the observers and the fightfuls of the world that some people within the company think he was the reason that Cole Cabana got relegated to ROH. I wouldn't be surprised if he just said, yeah, this is what I think. And this is fucking bullshit. Like, I don't know what else you expect from the guy when the first question of a press conference is, hey, how about that Colt Cabana, huh? I get, though, that people can be upset that it feels like he went after the Bucks, Kenny Omega, and that he specifically went after Hangman again, mentioning that he thought it was fucking bullshit and he doesn't understand how he's the bad guy for giving hangman a receipt when he still feels like hangman went into business for himself back when they were feuding before their paper uh, before their pay-per-view title match that is obviously where the divide is between is this leading to something with hangman or do these two legitimately fucking hate each other and at that point i love hangman as not as much as the next guy do i expect adam page or um, fucking call him by his real name. No, but do I expect, do I find it believable that Hangman and CM Punk might actually legitimately fucking dislike each other? Yes, because people fucking fight, especially in a business like that. I'm very satisfied right now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, first off, I want to, I just want to point out, I love how you corrected yourself to use their real names when you haven't used the name Phil Brooks at all. Oh, not once. I was, I was being sarcastic, by the way, in that <laughs> regard. <laughs> like, yes, here's <laughs> Phil Brooks, and I think Hangman's name is Steven. I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't hire Phil Brooks and give him a microphone without expecting him to, to speak his mind. The man still has his own blood on his face because he's gone from the ring to sit down at a press conference to make sure you have content for your dirt sheet, your paper, your Patreon, whatever. And you start your line of questioning with something that has not changed in over a decade. Hmm. Hey, are you, are you still friends with him? Did you, was it you who bumped? It wasn't him. Like, what power does CM Punk have to push, uh, to push anybody out of any spot? Like, 
I could see how CM Punk would go, you know what, give me the title or I'm going to leave, or I'm going to stay home. Because he's done it before. Mm. Do this or I'm going to go home, I'm going to take my ball and, and run with it and get fired on my wedding. Yeah. Right? It's, it's CM Punk, it's Phil Brooks, that's what you're getting out of him. So if you're going to start, the man just went through 20 minutes of hell, didn't even shower, came back, grabbed, I don't even know what he was drinking or that he was eating something. You know, he, how do you, how do you start with that line of questioning? And I've been in these, okay, like this isn't, this isn't me trying to name drop or, or boost myself up, but I have been in a post UFC uh, press conference. The one in Calgary, 148, I think it was. It was a terrible pay-per-view. Worst card of all time. (laughs) Yeah, why are you so pissy popped in my head as well. I sat in that room. I did not belong in that room. I was doing the morning show out of a suburb of Calgary, but ended up getting tickets and getting access to go to this pay-per-view and to sit in this press conference. I actually got a chance to ask Dana White a question, but after all the major outlets were not only allowed to ask their question, they were given the first bit of time to ask their questions. I stupidly put up my hand afterwards and asked him if he was going to come back, and they said yes. They haven't done a pay-per-view. They did like a uh, fight on Fox or whatever it is. Yeah. But like the major players get their time first. And a major player came out with that question first. Yeah. Is just absolutely asinine. I don't know how that guy has a job. I don't know if that guy will have a job after tonight. But you opened a different forbidden door Hmm. for CM Punk to walk through. And it's not shame on CM Punk. Not after what he had been through for the last 20 minutes. And not after... I hate to use the term gracing you with his presence right after that match when everybody else was in suits, cleaned up, good to go in that press conference. And he's going to speak his mind. Maybe a little lightheaded because he lost a lot of blood, but (laughs) I don't blame CM Punk at all. And if anybody wants to leave the company because of CM Punk's comments, grab a VHS of him and ROH. Yeah, and study that before that was, you start making career decisions based on what comes out of his mouth. That was something that was mentioned again by Sean Ross Sapp. Quote, a couple of talents were told that some very important names were pissed off and threatening to walk out over Punk's comments. But he also adds this. Obviously, at this stage, we have to be cognizant of a possible work. Like, <laughs> right. And that's that's the problem. I don't blame Sean Ross Sapp or anybody else in the wrestling media landscape. They are doing their job. But something like this, it's it is legitimately a, a serious situation in which there are feuding names within the company that are big names in the company, or it is pretty carefully planned. Unfortunately, what has me believing that let's, yeah, like 
that it's a combination of the two that there is legitimate problems there, but they're trying to work it out to their to the best of their ability is that he tacked on his issues with the EVPs and Hangman while he was mad about Cole Cabana being brought up. I think that does lend credence to, yeah, he's frustrated over some of the things about it. But I also wouldn't, in his shoes, be... Like, I'm not saying he's right for just throwing it out there that, like, yeah, I blame the Bucks and Kenny Omega and people like that for the issue with Hangman or the fact that still fucking constantly I have to deal with people asking me, am I sabotaging Colt Cabana's career? Maybe he does feel that way. And in a sense, you know, you talk about the important people at the helm of the promotion. It's understandable. He might come off looking like a dick, but it is understandable that he'd be pissed at the people at the helm of the promotion that that story would circulate and then he'd be asked about it at a press conference. I'm not saying he doesn't come off like a dick. And I'm not saying that there isn't legitimacy to this, but at the same time, I can understand him being pretty pissed. Who who do you think... Who's your first thought that would walk based on those comments? Nobody. Who's going to walk out of the company? No, no, I get, I get logically. Like, I get logically. But if there were name, like if Sean Ross Sapp is one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts. Um, if he's saying that there were names threatened, which could be a, an empty threat as well. Based on the comments that CM Punk made, who do you think, like, let's just say, let's throw a number out there, like, there was three names. Who's leaving? Who are those three people? The people, okay, so you're saying, like, oh, people mentioned that they were threatening to leave over Punk. Yeah. Well, obviously, like, you think about the people that were a target of his criticism. Correct. I don't see Kenny Omega or the Jacksons leaving. Right. Like, you're not going to go back to the hustle of doing New Japan. Right. You get paid a lot to do it, but I'm pretty sure they have a cozier life only traveling within the US. But they're also the highest level ish. Yeah, you're um, not making the amount of money you're making now with a new right. Japan. That's right. not happening. Okay, so who um, else was it? I and if it is them, like like again, like and Jay's mentioned that he subscribed to Fightful and that the Bucks and Omega were the ones that were mentioned that threatened to walk out. That's not, le- they're not legitimately going to do that. I can't imagine. Like, if, if that's real and that's the power play of them trying to say it's us or punk, I mean, who knows what happens in that instance? Okay. So the reason I bring that up is punk is just a wrestler. Yeah. He's probably the, the most marketable on the roster. But probably, not even probably, he's not the best worker. Right. Um, you've already lost, arguably, the face of... we. So, we talked, and I'll, I'll kind of spoiler for a future uh, podcast, probably even Tuesday. We will talk about All In. Yeah, that was the original Being plan. That it, it was the anniversary not too long ago. Yeah. All In was not... The young bucks as much as they were a part of the planning uh kenny omega i don't believe had any role he was still he, with was, he was on the card 
but okay who is the name that i'm leaving out that was the absolute face of all in that was one cody rhodes where's cody rhodes now he lost his spot behind the scenes. His friends didn't back him up. And he went to get a paycheck yeah. when his contract was up. Yeah, he's at home. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, <laughs> at home with a torn titty. I, I would be very surprised if it came down to a it's us versus them situation. When it came to Cody. How bad could it actually be, though? I don't think. I like man, it doesn't matter like how much you fucking hate somebody. Right. Like I get that you don't not everyone's going to get along. I get that you don't want this like toxicity at the at the helm here. Right. But I I don't know. Like the idea that in the near future we could see CM Punk out of the company or the uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega because they couldn't get along for the betterment of the company like it's just right. this is this is why I'm the only reason why I'm disappointed that MJF came back is this would be a perfect time for Punk Hangman cuz we never got it well i mean this the title be... match but we never got the rematch oh yeah no fair yeah yeah um but, like, Punk, in his WWE run, until he, or bef- he didn't do, he didn't disparage the company before he left, unless he could work it into a storyline. Hmm. Unless he was on company TV, pointing fingers at company people. Yeah. Case in point was, uh... Uh, Ace, and did you personally call Chris Masters? Did you personally call uh, Luke Gallows? Did you personally call when you wish them? You know, he never, he never did it in a side interview. He never did it without the important people there. And Tony Khan was sitting right beside him. So do I think this is, do I think it's Punk still going into business for himself? A little bit, but I think it's calculated as well that it actually furthers a storyline of maybe even getting Kenny back into the main event picture, maybe a hangman rematch, which we never saw. I I think Punk is smarter than we give him credit for in the moment. Cause we like I always say, like I do enjoy the chaos of somebody doing something really stupid. But on the same token, I like to see what the aftermath is, and if there's no aftermath to it, then it's stupidity. It's not chaos. And I think this is... Uh, maybe that's the perfect... Uh, Tarps has it perfectly. It's, it's a shoot that gets him into work. I think we've seen MJF versus Punk already. Yeah. And we didn't see a lot of Hangman Punk, and the rematch wasn't there for the title, which I always think there should be a there should always be a rematch. You should always be able to get that rematch to get your belt back, even if you lose. At least you got that guaranteed rematch afterwards. And AEW doesn't do that, except they bring it up later on, like when Mox uh, had the interim and Chris Jericho challenged him and said, "Hey, we never had a rematch for me losing my title to you." 
So, I'm not all that concerned about what has happened. I think a lot of people are getting... It was a weird night. And just to have that afterwards was just kind of icing on the cake. And we should be talking about how somehow Tony Khan got MJF to come back, whether it's a work or a shoot. And how we're going to get more punk MJF, but this time for a title, which MJF absolutely deserves as far as I'm concerned. But instead, we're talking about a we're talking about practice. Yeah, and that's kind of my issue with all of it, I think, as we bring this to a close. It's just this, it does eventually drift over the line of just how fun, like, uh, how unfun the whole situation is. Because at the end of the day, just want to enjoy wrestling, and you get stuck in the conversation of what's real, what isn't. If it is real, then it's bullshit. If it isn't real, then it's tiresome, and it's just... And, well, Tony Khan should have yeah, it's just yeah it's a good thing that the vast majority of fans that watch aren't the ones that watch these press conferences and have podcasts like we do <laughs> you know i will say this i'm actually enjoying the fact that we don't know like mm. bring bring back the chatter about mjf was this a work all along we don't know we may never know until AEW gets their network and has to fill it with documentaries. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I I'm actually loving the the question of okay, how real was this? Because when we grew up watching wrestling, we thought that all the punches were real, all the kicks were real, all the injuries were real, every storyline was real, they hated each other. And now we're back into that well, does Punk actually hate Hangman? Like, what's... Did Punk why, go into what? business for himself tonight? I love that line, too, because you know at the end of the day, Punk only goes into business for himself, which is right. genius. <laughs> I can't believe CM Punk potentially went into business for himself. What's I, this? Punk, Punk wants more spotlight on himself as a professional wrestler? Hmm. Why would he want that? His money don't jingle jingle. Because we could, I think, talk about this for a while because, hey, it's just one of those toss-up type of things. I enjoyed this show. Could it have been better? Of course. Yeah, we decided to watch on Wednesday. Yes, I am. (laughs) That's where I'm at. I I love this. I love that this came to be, like, in that small moment, like, five minutes before the final pinfall Mm -hmm. of the night. So with that, I think we'll we'll wind it down. We'll be back on Tuesday to talk about whatever the fuck happens in, in <laughs> both of the, the major companies' worlds at this point, because uh, not that I'm going to watch Raw, but I'm intrigued to see kind of what they set up after their event, which, again, we'll talk about on Tuesday. And um, who knows? Someone might quit AEW tomorrow. <laughs> we don't know. Who's to say? Or... They won't because maybe people aren't. Ma- I, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Is CM Punk a dick? Yeah. Is CM Punk not a dick? I don't fucking know. He's All a I dick. know is I'm excited for He's Wednesday. Probable dick though. So I'm excited for Wednesday. That's all it is. But yeah, secondturnbuckle.com. 
place to be. We're out there on all uh, all all audio platforms. And uh, crash. I'll I'll wind things down by saying good talk for two and a half hours. I've got I've got my new tradition for the podcast. Even though technically this is the second one. What's that? Recording a two-hour review of a show immediately after? <laughs> well, it was a ten-hour pay-per-view, right? So two hours is pretty good. Yeah. What's um, another? What's another two? No, I told you. I wanna I wanna end each podcast with a Bobby the Brain Heenan quote. So today's is, if you're poor and you do something stupid, you're nuts. If you're rich and you do something stupid, you're eccentric. We'll see you on Tuesday, everybody. <laughs>